good to have you guys here this morning. Would you take your Bibles and go to the book of Genesis chapter 6? Genesis chapter 6, want to encourage you, like the video said, if you haven't had an opportunity to grab one of our packets uh, from, this, from the portion that we're in in the year of the Bible, we want to encourage you to grab one. I know many of you guys are joining online and you got the online version. We actually put some out in the mail this week. And so that's just been a tremendous resource for everyone. And uh, we, as we go through each different section of the Bible throughout this year, uh, you'll be getting a new one. So those will be really Really, really good to have. I want to put something up on the screen real quick. And this has kind of been like our big, kind of big idea for this series that we want to really keep in mind, especially today, as we talk through a pretty complicated story uh, in the Bible. I want to say right from the get-go that there might be some things that we talk about today that are going to give you a lot more questions. And in this series, we actually want that to be the case. We want you to take this year, devote it to the Bible, and really start to ask some, some hard questions, some deep questions about what the Bible is really saying. So when we're talking about the flood today, I want us to keep in mind that the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Okay, I want to say that to get together, so we're going to say it out loud together. Those of you joining us online, um, you could say it out loud, or you can start typing if you're really good. I don't know the correct way to do that, but let's read this together, because I want this to be at the front of our mind during this whole message. Ready? One, two, three. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Now, just give your neighbor a high five and say, really good job on the reading right there. Solid. Really liked it. All right, so part two, we're talking about the flood today, and uh, we're talking about partially what you saw in that video, but we're going to look at it in full context. So Genesis chapter 6 through Genesis chapter 9, you can leave your Bibles open, we'll go through it. If you were raised in church, how many of you guys were raised in church? Show of hands from the time. Okay, good. Most of you. Those of you joining online, you can put a hand emoji. Raised in church. Now, when you were growing up in, in kids' church or little church, as we call it, you guys know you guys are called the big people, right? To little kids. Like, well, that's big church. Um, you didn't hear the um, pronunciation of the story as the flood. Did you notice that when you were growing up? You didn't get that. You got Noah's ark. You got Noah's ark. I'm going to put a picture on the screen. That's what a lot of us are used to in this story, right? If you grew up in kids' church, you got to see this picture. Now, back up, back in my day, you, you didn't have this. You had like one of those projectors, you know, that you kind of put on top. They even did that for lyrics too, by the way. I so wanted to be that as a little kid. Tried it one week. Everything was upside down, messed up. They kicked me out right there and been working out that subject ever since. Just joking. But this is what you saw. You saw this this very nice, funny, cute story about some animals that got loaded on a boat with a family. It, even too, if you grew up in, in church, they even had like little figurines, right? That you could like the teacher would put it on a table and say, this is the giraffe and this is the, the hippo and the elephant. And then you were always mad because your favorite animal wasn't there. And so it just seemed cute. And you would hear this story about how the waters came and the boat went up and they floated and then they got to land and they eventually got off. Happy-go-lucky, right? Everybody with me on this one? That's what we know. But very rarely, if ever, did they really talk about not only what went on above the waterline, 
That's what you just saw. But we never talked about what went on below the waterline. That's what we're going to do today. Might feel real tense in the room today. So you got to make sure you smile at me, okay? And you're with me. And if God so puts it on your heart to say, preach it, preacher, or amen, or get a hanky out and just do this, you, you, you just do that. Because today, I want to show you a side of God that was below the water. Just as much of the God who was above the, the water. See, essentially in the story, everything stays above, not, not below. And what we see in the story is the God who saved the family, but also the same God who actually sent a flood. And the God who's responsible for the deliverance is also the God who's responsible for the destruction. So essentially what we do is if we only tell the, the top half of the story above the waterline is we diminish God's judgment. We don't really like that word judgment. It's a harsh word. But if we only tell the story below the waterline, then what we do is we diminish God's grace and God's mercy. We've got to have both. Remember even in the New Testament when Jesus would, would correct somebody, he would do it in love, but he would also speak truth. He would tell that lady, I love you and I forgive you, but go and sin no more because sin will bring destruction to your life. Jesus even shows the father heart of God that says, hey, I have love, I have grace, I have mercy, but I also have judgment. So what I hope to do today is tell the whole story in context. So I've got three points. My favorite number. Well, not really. My favorite number is 12, but if you do three times four, you get 12, and there you go. I've got three points today, but also with every single point is an application point to you and I today, because our goal is to help you understand this Bible and bring it into your everyday life and apply the principles that are placed in it. Okay, so number one is simply this. For those of you taking notes, I hope it's all of you note takers or history makers. But if you've got a memory that can rem like remember it all, I'll be quizzing you in two weeks. Let's see what you got. Number one, righteousness and rebellion. Righteousness and rebellion. Now, this is very important for us to end this story of the flood to understand in context for the story. We end this story, we see righteousness and we also see rebellion. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. Now I don't know if this ever stood out to you. Maybe this was you, but this was me. When I came to this story of Noah's ark, I kind of thought it was just like Noah and his family and maybe a few other families. Because when you read in the Bible, you see Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And then when you get to six, now it's time to talk about Noah. And so we kind of think that, man, there probably wasn't a lot of people in the land, right? Did anybody else think that but me? Like, it's maybe just a few, or maybe now you're thinking, oh yeah, I probably thought that that could be the case. But here's the thing. The gap in Genesis chapter four through Genesis chapter six is 1,500 years that have gone by. Remember the words that went back to, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. The fall came. God did what he did, said what he said. Adam and Eve had to adjust, but the mandate was still there. Multiply the earth. And so we're talking 
about a millennium and a half of time that has gone by, by the time we come to Genesis chapter 6. And by all estimations, the population, as you begin to study this out, would say that there was pretty much either high hundreds of millions of people, if not billions of people on the land when this story begins to take place. Now, let's look at how these hundreds of millions, possibly billions of people were acting. Now, this is where I want you to really watch the screen and I want you to really, really see the words. This is where the Bible is going to start answering some questions that you and I have. Okay? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw. Everyone say saw. He saw. Let's stop there. When's the last time before Genesis chapter 6 that we see the word saw or see? In creation. And what do we see or what do we hear or what do we read when that word came up? I'll give it to you. God saw that it was good. This is important. So God in all of creation, land, star, moons, creatures, the whole nine yards in creation, just backing up a couple weeks ago, he sees it and the words that come out of his mouth are, this is, this is good. Now we're in Genesis chapter 6 and we see that God is seeing some things again. Except when God sees or God saw, this is what he saw. He saw wickedness. He saw that the wickedness of man was great. How many of you guys know God, God doesn't exaggerate? You know that? That word great is no accident. I want you to get this. If we, listen, if we just read this verse right here and stopped, we would understand just how bad things were before this flood had to come. We don't do that. We skip over and we ask this question, if God is so good, why would he send a flood? And we've probably all done it, myself included. And we miss this. Verse five, wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now watch this word. And that every, say every. Okay, let's have a fun moment for all the married people in the room. You ever said this? You do this every time. How many guys know that usually starts a fight? Am I right? Now, here's the reality. If you're the spouse who says, and I've said it, hi, Vanessa, love you. I've said it. She's our host online today, by the way. So she's probably typing something in there right now. Actually, they're at about a two-minute delay. So eventually, she's going to hear this. Then she's going to think about it. Then she's going to type. I would say you do this every time. And how many guys know? Exaggeration. You haven't done that every time. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is God an exaggerator? Okay, so let's back up. Their wickedness was great and that every intent, every intent, man of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh my. Is this starting to come alive in your spirit right now? We passed this. I'm not, I'm not picking on kids' ministries <laughs> at all. This is heavy. This is God looking down at millions, if not billions, and he is saying these choice words. Their wickedness is great. Every intent of their thoughts are evil, and it's evil continually. This is a dire situation. Now, you can note this. You can write this down. I don't have it up on the screen, but verse 6 
says that when God saw this, and this is important for us to get, when God saw this, says he was grieved. That word grieved in the Greek is the translation for all the ladies in the room who have given birth to a child, labor pains. Pause here. God was so grieved that it brought him pain. The equivalent of someone giving birth. We think God's mean in this story. And God's so mean, he just flooded everyone and killed them all, except for knowing his family. And we wrestle with why, why, why? Another translation goes on to say that he was even sorry. You see what I'm trying to do here in this moment? As a communicator, they teach us these things in Bible school. When you let a moment set, they even call it a pregnant pause. And I pause because I want you to feel the weight of the heaviness that God was feeling. And then I want to make this statement to you. The heaviness you feel could never touch the heaviness that God felt. This is a tough thing. God's looking down and he's seeing all of this. It goes on. It gets even worse. Look at verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt. I wonder if God ever took a moment where he thought to himself, okay, today I'm going I'm to search the world again and Man, I hope today they've changed their ways. Man, I hope they're not corrupt. And he searched only to find that again. It's corrupt. Now, another key word, for all. Say all. Okay, watch here. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God's not an exaggerator. The book, the Bible According to 2 Timothy, as God breathed, every single word in this Bible is ordained of God. That's what we believe at this church. If you're a Christian, you should believe every single word in this book is ordained of God. So he puts the word all. So here we had a perfect world in Genesis chapter 1 through 2. Then the fall comes. By chapter 6, millions if not billions of people are living contrary to the lifestyle that God has told them to live. And against this backdrop of rebellion, we're introduced to one righteous person. And his name is Noah. So let's kind of flip this a little bit. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Say just. Perfect. Ladies. If you're single, Noah was the man. He was perfect. Having a little fun here. It says he's perfect in his generation. And then it says, Noah walked with God. When's the last time we heard that? Oh, I know, a guy by the name of Enoch. And the Bible says, Enoch walked so close with God 
that Enoch didn't die a physical death on earth. God took him. I want to be like Enoch. I want to be like Noah. I want to walk so close with God that God says, I cannot wait for them to wake up in the morning because we're going to spend time together. It says Noah was a just man and he was perfect. So here we have a very unperfect thing going on. A generation that's corrupt and evil, their thoughts are always wicked. And God goes, boom, here's Noah. And it's no accident that God mentions this. Remember, no accident. So hundreds of millions of people, potentially billions of people are living their life one way. And we have to ask ourselves this question. How simple would it have been for Noah to live just like them? It would have been very simple. The culture was wicked. All, that's what the word says, all. But Noah, not. So a question from the story that is relevant for us today, even in the midst of evil, sin, chaos, and corruption is, like Noah, for us in this generation and this culture, here's the thing. Does your life look different? Here's the application. Rebellion and righteousness. There's a wicked, corrupt, evil, sinful world, and then there's Noah. So when we look at that, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we in this world and in this culture, like Noah, look different? Do we act different? Do we speak different? In other words, is it obvious to the world around you that you not only believe in Jesus, but you put Jesus first in all you do? Is it obvious? Like Noah, can those closest to you spot you in the middle of a crowd as someone who takes the Bible seriously and lives their life according to it? Can they tell? Are you walking with God or are you walking according to the desires and the passions of your flesh? Do you look different? We have to come face to face with this today. If this story is going is to teach us anything, it's going to teach us our lives, like Noah, should and can be different. Look at your neighbor and say, I could be different. That's right. You can be different. Some of you didn't look at your neighbor and say you could be different. <laughs> like, I think they're different. So we have rebellion and we have righteousness. Number two is this. We see in the story, we see deliverance and we see destruction. Now, this is the tough part. Remember, God is the God of both. He's the God who delivered a family and he's a God who destroyed the world. He's a God who is full of judgment, yet he's also a God who is full of mercy and of grace. We love talking about that God. We don't like talking or even thinking about the other God of judgment. And friends, we can't do that. I don't know if this is the proper illustration but it's one of the best that I think I could come up with. Does a guy like Adolf Hitler need judgment? Well, does he? Why are we okay with that? God judge him. 
But God, don't judge me. Is sin, sin? Is wrong, wrong? Then why do we say that God is a mean God if he chooses to judge the motives of our lives and our hearts? You can't have it both ways. He's both. God, why would you kill all those people? You're mean. Oh, but definitely take care of him because he's evil. Doesn't work. He's a God of both. So, let's read the scripture and understand the full context. Let's go to verse 13. You ready? And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, covered inside and outside with, the, with pitch. And, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark. You shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Now, let's think about this for a moment. We may have seen this before. Let me give you some things to compare it to. We're talking about the length of about one and a half football fields. This thing is huge. Width, about nine U-Haul trucks parked side by side in its width. Okay? Height, almost four stories. And most believe that with the animals that he had to bring on, only 60% of this boat was being used to its capacity. Just to give you some frame on how massive this thing is. It's ginormous. And this instruction God gives to Noah. He says, build it. Verse 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all earth in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son wives with you. So God says, I will destroy, but he also says, I will deliver. Now remember, the Bible is a unified uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. In this story, we see that. It's the beauty of the Bible. Because only through Christ and our right standing, which is repentance of sins, we will find deliverance from our punishment. I need you to remember that. Okay? Let's continue moving through the story. So God instructs Noah to grab the animals Get ready for the waters to come. Genesis 7-11. Ooh, 7-11. I like that place. Slurpees. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, you guys, never mind, I'm sorry. Moving on. In the 17th day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and this, all this food stuff in here, this is not helping right now, I'm hungry. And Noah's wives and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh 
in which is our breath on life. Verse 16, so those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded them, and he shut them in. From that point, 40 days, 40 nights of rain take place, and everything is now dead. Hundreds of millions, potentially billions wiped out. Let me pause here to say, if, if you're in our community group, we're going to post a video this week. I want, to tell, I, want to, I want to tell you right now, it's about an hour and a half long. Some of you all watch movies and TV shows that are just that same amount. I'm going to ask you to take time this week to go through it. To see how indeed a flood of that magnitude came to this earth. It's fascinating. I'm also going to place an article in there. As many of you this week, even some of you watching online, there was some verbiage from Genesis chapter 6 through 9 where it talks about the sons of God and a couple other key words that you need to understand. We, I didn't want to get into that in this setting. But all throughout the week during this whole series, we're going to be sending things to you guys or also too, if you've also signed up by via text, we're going to send this to you. It's fascinating. So, hundreds of millions, potentially billions wiped out. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth. Lots of days. Again, the story above the water line, God's gracious, he's merciful. But again, if all we do is preach above the line, we diminish God's judgment. So, what's the principle or what's the application to point number two? It's simply this. God hates sin. He hates it. Why did the flood come? Sin. And here's the thing. Genesis chapter one says, we're created in the image of God, right? Ephesians 5, verse 1, says we should imitate God and be like him. So what's that mean to you and I? We too should hate sin. You should hate it. There should be something in us that does what needs to be done to remove sin from our lives. You've heard this said before, sin will take you further than you want to go, will keep you longer than you're willing to stay, and it will always cost you more than you're willing to pay. Sin always will, and God hates it. So we should never play around with the things that God intentionally needed to destroy. We should take account into our own lives. We should look deep within. And we should identify those things that we know are indeed sin and wrong. There's no way around it. There was no explanation good enough. Sin is sin. Wrong is wrong. And you got to call it out. And I got to call it out. We got to hate it. The question is, is do we feel serious like 
God feels serious about sin. And what I love about God is if the weight of sin comes upon me, God has sent a way for that sin to be removed. So, can't play around with it any longer. Whether you're in this room or you're watching online, all of us together, you need to make a decision about sin. Okay? You got to do it. Number three, and we close. We see faithfulness and we see foolishness. In the story of the flood, Noah's Ark, we see both faithfulness and we see foolishness. Noah was faithful in the eyes of the Lord. But for many of us, we know that the story ended a little awkward when you read the story of Noah. Pretty faithful guy, kind of a weird ending. But here's the thing about Noah that I love. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen. What wasn't seen? Rain. Imagine Noah out there building a boat. Hey, Noah, what are you doing? By the way, 55 to 75 years is what they guesstimate is how long it took to make that ark. So could you imagine for 55 to 75 years, your friends walking up to you as you're building a boat? And by the way, you're about 500 miles away from a big body of water. <laughs> and your friend's going, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm building this ark, a big boat. There's a flood coming. Friends go, what's a flood? Uh, this stuff's going to fall from the sky. It's uh, rain. What's rain? Yeah, you'll see. See, I'm going to take my opinion here, and I'm not stating this is the Bible. This is just what I, what I think. If Noah was a just man and faithful in the eyes of God, then for those 55 to 75 years that they guesstimate that that ark was being built, I guarantee, I would almost, I shouldn't guarantee, I should say, I think Noah probably tried to tell some people you need to probably get right with God. Wouldn't you? He's divinely warned. If he's a just and a perfect man, then he has the heart of God. God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come too. So I don't think you can convince me that Noah was just building his ark and avoiding people. Just my thought. My two cents. Give me three more cents. That's a nickel. It's bigger than a penny. Being divinely warned of the things not seen. I love this one. Move with godly fear. Derek, if you're watching, godly fear. Little inside thing from the men's group. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to the faith. Can I tell you one of the things that I saw when I went back and read this story and getting ready for this? Obviously, the content we're talking about today, but do you know every time God told Noah to do something, Noah just did it? Go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. You will never see Noah say anything. God said, he did. Because that was enough for him. If God says, you should do. Success in life, read the Bible, 
God's word, do what it says. But, but, but God, you don't understand. <laughs> Your butt is getting in the way. Come on. I know it's cheesy preacher line. Okay, get it. Some of you need to take your butt. But God, but they, but I, but what about? Stop it. If God says it, you just do it. God says deal with your sin, deal with your sin. If God says fix this relationship, fix this relationship. If God says give, give your time, your talent, your treasure. If God says, just do. That's what Noah did. Man, I love this Noah guy. Now, the folly or the foolishness, if many of you guys are wondering, well, what's the foolish part of it? Well, they eventually got off the land. By the way, that's a story in and of itself. How many got kids? Show of hands. Okay. Let me give you the scenario for Noah. You are the kid, Jake. Very good. Ready for this scenario? Imagine being this parent. The rain stops. Anybody know how many days they stayed on that boat until God said, okay, you can step out on dry land? 350. That's the equivalent, uh, the feeling is the equivalent of you as a parent pulling up to Disneyland and asking your kid to stay in the car. How many of you guys know that's not going to turn out very well? Can you imagine being Noah? God, you want us to wait? Yeah, I'll send the bird out and the bird will come back and the bird will tell you, hey God, I've got a bunch of really stinky, rotten animals on this deal. Come on, use your imagination. There's stuff going on on that boat. Stay where you are. Noah was one faithful dude. I'll tell you that right now. But he eventually comes off the boat. Makes a vineyard. Eventually gets drunk, falls asleep in a tent. His kids come in to cover him up, walking backwards. Then just, just shortly after that, conversation takes place. Noah dies. Translation is not good to get drunk. It's foolish. I don't think you need my convincing on that one. But he did. Yeah. You ever done anything foolish? Mm -hmm. Every single one of us have. Man, if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, we better be very truthful with this one. We make some mistakes. Reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans 7:15. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Got to read this one real slow. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that 
dwells in me. Let me paraphrase those five verses. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do. We all do. But here's the great news. God is still faithful, even in the midst of our foolishness. Amen.